and welcome to the My First Five Years podcast. I'm Alistair Bryce-Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson. We're early years experts and the founders of My First Five Years, a child development app for parents. And what this podcast is all about is trying to bring some of the joy back into parenting and help you to ditch some of those things that cause you anxiety and distress. Absolutely. Let's get rid of that anxiety and have much more fun. Last time, we talked about challenging behaviour. Today we're talking about something different, but which can sometimes present challenges for both you as a parent and your child. Yes, so we want to talk about food and nutrition, which is something we think is really important here in my first five years. And so much so that we have enlisted an expert to be part of our team. So they're going to be here to guide us on the best way to feed our children, but also ways to deal with common issues that parents have, like fussy eating, allergy concerns, all the things that happen in those crucial first five years. Lucy Upton is a specialist paediatric dietitian. She's better known as the children's dietitian. Welcome, Lucy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We are recording remotely with Lucy today, so the sound quality might be slightly different to other episodes, but we know there'll be loads of useful tips and advice to help you feel confident in what you're feeding your child and recognising when there might be a problem and more importantly, just really enjoying food together. I am so looking forward to this one. So Lucy, tell us a little bit about your background and how you've helped parents with their babies and young children's eating. So thank you so much for having me. I think that's the first thing I would say. It's always wonderful to be able to work and partner with, you know, people who are really passionate about supporting children in this critical period of life. So um, a little bit about me. Um, I'm technically, my my term is specialist paediatric dietitian. um, And I always shorten that essentially to a dietitian who works with babies and children who's been doing it and around for quite a long time, essentially, because it sounds a lot less complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really, really fortunate. I have a very varied job, but my background is working with, I mean, babies as as young as when they're born or premature babies, all the way up to um, teenagers and all the years in between. So I'm very, very fortunate to have lots of experience with children of all ages, but I'm particularly passionate about the early years. And I've done this in lots of different guises, I suppose. So I have worked in big children's hospitals. I've worked in community settings, in GP surgeries, providing training for health visitors, GPs, other primary care professionals. Um, I'm really fortunate to work with some lovely people in kind of the public health arena. So things like the Infant and Toddler Forum Um, Mm -hmm. and essentially trying wherever I can to kind of take the knowledge that we have as dietitians and spread that Um, to parents in a way that's very accessible and very evidence-based and and like you said kind of in your intro kind of without the guilt without the shame without all the extra pressure that comes with with parenting because it's really really tough and feeding is something that can definitely go wrong in inverted commas in a fair few different ways for families. Mm -hmm. Absolutely I think a lot of families feel that stress around feeding time everything from that breastfeeding right the way through into weaning and also yeah. just through into are you getting enough vegetables into your child and how can you do that so yeah. the more tips and hints and advice we can bring parents just to try and de-escalate that stress that's going to yeah. be a really good thing 100%. and I think for us as well having expertise like yours is just so key everything we do and everything we say at my first five years we want it to be backed by science and research and that's why it's so important that we work with credible people like yourselves yeah, there is one hell of a lot of nutrition noise out there, isn't there? I think, you know, if you, if you, there'll be adults listening, lots of parents thinking you can't make sense of what you should or shouldn't be eating day to day, depending on what's in and the papers or the news or online. And it's exactly the same now for kids. I think it's hugely overwhelming mm-hmm. for so many families. 
Yeah. You ultimately need to decide who are you willing to listen to and, and are they experts and can they back it up? And uh, we're yeah. delighted to say that we're working with you. Absolutely. Well, I'm thrilled to be working with you too. So today we're tackling some of the issues you may face when it comes to feeding your children. So Lisa, before we get into some of the specific challenges, what are the basics that we should know about feeding our children healthy and nutritious food? I love that this is basics and that you could sit here and have me talk for an hour on the basics. (laughs) However, with that in mind, I think the first thing I would always say to parents is that this this nutrition noise I've alluded to already and, and all of these sort of expectations about feeding children is that often it can become very overcomplicated and it doesn't actually need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there's, there's kind of two things for me that are, that are important to consider. So the first is that we can't just treat children like little adults. So whilst we want them to share the same sorts of foods as us, we need to be really conscious that actually they are growing and developing rapidly, especially in those first, you know, one and two years and through the toddler years. And that their nutrition needs, so without getting too specific, things like nutrients like iron and calcium and things like that are basically very, very transient and will change in terms of how much a child needs in certain age groups and why. And and that's all essentially to get them ready for adult life. So calcium requirements, for example, go up, you know, rapidly in adolescence because kids are growing really fast. Iron requirements are really, really high in the toddler years because they need to be learning, growing, concentrating and doing all of these things, which requ- requires, you know, really good blood flow around the body and and they don't want to be tired and lethargic. And so I think when you when you get back to basics, it's going, OK, what do we as a family? What are our habits? How do we how do we choose to eat? However, that might be. And how can we apply that to our kids with some small adaptations to make sure that they're getting what they need? And it really, really doesn't have to be complicated. So if you're thinking about, you know, mealtime routines, children need to eat quite regularly. So generally we'd say three three main meals like we often all have and maybe two to three snacks a day. Although, you know, that said, you'll find some children are really good at dinners and less bothered by snacks. And other children Mm -hmm. who seem to do a little bit better when they're sort of eating little and often. Um, and then you need to just make sure that you're you're planning in variety. And what I mean by variety is that your child necessarily isn't eating just lots of foods from one food group. And and again, this is quite similar to us as adults. You know, I probably yeah. wouldn't sit here and say, have a plate of pasta three times a day, every day, and everything will ju- be just fine. You know, we talk about balancing meals with fruit and vegetables and protein-rich foods and including some healthy fats. So it's all of those sort of kind of rules. I actually hate the word rules. All of those recommendations <laughs> still apply, but... It's about thinking, What is, is there anything specific my child needs during these stages? And I know right we're going now, to talk yeah. about weaning and we're going to talk about fussy eating, so I can touch on those. But the crux of it is to keep it simple. You know, I always say mealtimes, have you got an energy providing food for your child, like a starchy carbohydrate, bread, rice, pasta, potato, chapati, whatever it might be? Have you got some kind of iron or protein rich food, like meat, fish, eggs, beans, something like that? And have you got some fruit and veg in there? But again, mm-hmm. without the complicated stuff, I don't know about you guys, but I see all of these, um, like, you know, what my toddler eats in a day or these bamboo plates full of full of these fantastic meals. And I just think, oh my gosh, it doesn't actually need to be this complicated. Like they don't need four different vegetables on the plate for a meal to be balanced. Like Mm -hmm. fish fingers, potato wedges and peas is a balanced meal. 
like that's absolutely fine. I think that's that's really important because a lot of parents feel a lot of guilt and especially yeah. in our Instagram culture that you're suddenly seeing yeah. somebody who's made a meal that looks like a reenactment of Jurassic Park. Oh God, I know. Dinosaur saved sandwiches and <laughs> broccoli trees. Yeah. Yeah, and then we're all inadequate. And actually what yeah. you're saying is, you know, if you've got those food groups and it's yeah. good, nutritious food, yeah. then, you know, a balanced meal can be lots of different things. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the thing that takes you an hour to prepare and your child, you know, two minutes to eat no absolutely not and it also doesn't have to be the expensive stuff um there's there's mm-hmm. a big push i often see in kind of like the, particularly in the young children and child arena you know you don't have to buy organic i'm going to put that out there right now and you don't have to buy the most expensive of everything because that inherently doesn't mean it's a better quality at all you know i'm a big advocate for you know using tin fruit tin vegetables frozen fruit frozen vegetables frozen fish and meat you know because the other thing is that there, we know that there's huge pressures for providing these balanced meals, but actually, you know, they, it costs a fair amount to feed kids, doesn't it? And it's nothing more disheartening when it all ends up in the bin at the end anyway, because they don't fancy eating today. So again, I'd say, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to spend loads and, and wherever possible, if you can adapt what you're eating as a family, mm-hmm. life will become so much easier. Yeah. And less stressful. I remember when stressful. my eldest, who's now 23, was a baby and our first born. Yeah. My wife boiling bone broth to make yeah. into mashed up little ice cubes. And we went to the childminder. We took little ice cubes in a tray yeah. that were all kind of organically mashed. And it took hours, hours. and hours to make. And yeah. actually, there was stuff that you could get in a really good quality yeah tin or jar that was probably just as good and a way less stressful but that was not about nutrition that was about us feeling we were doing the best exactly parenting job and i was both independently had three children there's no way she was still boiling broth by the torch (laughs) (laughs) no that's very very true you can have this pasta i'm gonna boil this pasta in three minutes yeah Yeah. no and i think this is it is that it doesn't need to be i think there's pressure for it to be isn't there and it becomes a bit of a comparison trap I mean, you know, I see parents who really, really, you know, I'd say one of the biggest phrases parents come to me with is, I'm worried they're not getting enough. And it always makes me smile because I go, enough of what? Mm-hmm. And actually, lots of people don't know what they mean when they say enough. Yeah. They, they think they mean nutrients, but they don't know which one, or they is it enough to grow? Has somebody helped them interpret their growth, you know, a child's growth correctly? I think there's all of these pressures. And then I think you then times it by how many times you have to feed your kids in a day, which what could be five or six times. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We've done a whole podcast on what we've termed comparanoia, yes. which is exactly what you're talking exactly about. In that. every element of parenting, it creeps in, whether it, it be the food, whether it be, you know, the activities you've done with them that day, the clothes they wear in. It's just crazy. And it's our passion and clearly yours as well to remove some of this anxiety by just taking a more common sense approach yeah. and simplifying it back down to the basics. Yeah, but it's absolutely. that quality information about, because you could say, well, I'm going to give my child six meals a day and give them six bags of crisps, which exactly. wouldn't be healthy for everybody. So it's no. about that idea of finding out what is, as you talked about, the kind of guidelines about good nutrition that's yeah. going to feed what your child needs but then keeping it simple and keeping the stress out. Because I think a stressed parent, we well, we know a stressed parent makes a stressed child. And I know when we talk about things like fussy eating later on, when you're getting anxious about what your child isn't eating, that anxiety just creeps out across oh, the dinner table. Into we'll talk child. about mm-hmm. that. It, it creeps yeah. into what I call com- compensatory like feeding behaviours. We try and fix. We really, mm-hmm. really try and fix. But often the things that with the best intentions we use to try and fix are the things that actually to be honest, make it snowball. 
and yeah. and it, it could be really hard you know it's it, fussy eating is an interesting topic because it's a lot less often about the kids and a lot more about how we yeah. understand where a child's at developmentally at that stage and how we support that yeah yeah i think and what we talk about in the app things like children's behavior or expected behavior and again it's this compensatory thing from parents where strategies mm. you put in place be it the smiley chart, be it the naughty step, all those things that you do that I think they're making things better actually make it uh, significantly worse. Anyway, yes. we will save we'll that talk about a that. little bit later. <laughs> so Lucy, in terms of specific issues then, let's start with weaning. That's when our babies first learn about food. What are the main things parents should know and what might be some of the challenges? So you've alluded to something that's so I am so ridiculously passionate about, which is that they're learning about food. And I mm-hmm. think even the term weaning can get really easily misconstrued. And and essentially what is happening is your baby is learning to eat. And so like anything else that they learn to do, it is very, very, very rarely a smooth start off and then reach the finish end in a smooth, yeah. straightforward line. Mm-hmm. And I think the key thing is focusing on what why are we doing what we are doing during weaning why are we giving them these foods why are we moving through with textures the processes for learning so biggest tips I would say for weaning are make sure you're happy with when you're getting going like how do you know baby's ready to go because there's loads of misinformation out there about when children should be getting going with weaning oh it's when they're chewing their fists oh it's when they're interested in your food oh they're not sleeping through anymore so it must be time to start food so yeah. I think it's it's bringing it back to that development. You know, every baby is going to be ready to go at a slightly different age. Uh, you know, guidance is around six months, which always makes me smile because how you interpret that around is interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, around six months, what, a day before, a week before? And I think that's where people get confused. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, you know, know, know when you're getting going. And the key things you're looking for is that your baby is developmentally ready to go. So generally they should be able to sort of sit not completely unsupported for a long period of time but they should have a really good you know good posture good tone be able to keep themselves sort of, sort of sat mm-hmm. upright with a little bit of support in a good high chair the key thing really is that they can hold their head up you know how babies have that lovely wobbly head and it just <laughs> yep. flops forward and backwards you don't want any of that they need their head nice and sturdy um they should be starting to and this is what you might see through their play first be able to mm-hmm. look at things pick something up and bring it towards their towards their mouth. And they'll start doing yeah. that through their midline. So they will start bringing things up and through their midline towards their mouth. And then the final thing, and again, this gets a lot of sort of, um, yes, it is, no, it isn't, yes, it is, is that is baby should be able to essentially sw- start being able to swallow food. So mm-hmm. that doesn't mean, you know, if you're, if you're giving them a piece of toast off the outset that they would be able to chew, bite and swallow that because that's very advanced in terms of oromotor yeah. skills. It means that, not everything that's going into their mouth is being pushed straight back out. So they don't have to have completely lost that tongue thrust reflex that you will be used to, so your baby pushing their tongue out of their mouth, but that will start to diminish. It should have started to diminish. They will start to swallow small amounts of food. So you're looking for that developmental sign of readiness. Some babies might be there by, you know, five and a half months. Some might be two weeks after six months of age. All of that is fine. I would say always, always follow your baby's lead as just a general bit of advice. And what's really useful there is you're given clear signposts for things to look out for and you're not saying you've got to tick every single box. What you're saying is when you're looking at your child and you're seeing lots of these things, then that's giving you a kind of a signal that it might be worth trying some weaning. And then that's what should 
parents start weaning with? Because you can have everything from mashed banana through to or carrot sticks and everything in between. Yeah, and everything that in between. very early weaning, what's kind of good stuff? So there's some really interesting evidence out about the benefits of starting with things like green vegetables. And I really want to point out that if you don't start this way, that's okay too. Um, I think mm-hmm. it often gets thrown around as if you start with your broccoli and your asparagus and your spinach, which are great foods to start off with because they're bitter and they're more challenging in terms of taste compared to um, sweet, which babies are used to either via formula milk or breast milk. So you're going mm-hmm. straight in with a bit of a punchy challenge for their taste buds at that stage. Um, that it supports the intake of those foods later on. Um, I would say certainly if I put my feeding therapist hat on, the key thing would be maintenance of those foods in their diet rather than going, yeah. I've done 10 days, it was all green veg, that's it. They'll never be a fussy eater and they'll always eat the vegetables because I'm afraid not. It's It's got to be a little bit more than that. But veg first, veg led first weeding or whatever way around you want to put those words is a good way to start for lots of children. As I say, just because it starts getting that early exposure to tastes and textures that can be a little bit more challenging But if you don't feel confident with that or your baby has a little bit of a halt, stop, start, you're not feeling, you know, like things have gone particularly well, there is absolutely nothing wrong with bringing in some fruit, some root vegetable, which generally is a little bit sweeter and really easy to puree or make into kind of finger foods like, you know, carrot batons or sweet potato batons and stuff like that. But, you know, other than that, there aren't like any massive, massive, massive rules. I think, again, weaning into an area that's plagued with do's and don'ts. And there are some very obvious don'ts, you know, which I'm sure we'll cover. But things like, you know, no honey, nothing that's going to be a choking risk, nothing that's got lots of added salt or sugar. But other than that, as you progress through weaning, the biggest, biggest recommendation I would give and, and the more and more research that we see is that as much variety of, as possible is key. And what textures would they be, Lucy, to begin with? So to begin with, so you could start, so lots of babies, will you can choose really. So it depends whether you're going down a kind of a spoon-led puree kind of approach. Some people mm-hmm. deem that traditional weaning. Or whether you're going down what's very sort of typically known as a baby-led weaning approach, which is, you know, often finger foods. Um, mm-hmm. I quite like the option of offering a bit of both. So if you're doing some broccoli, you blend some of it down. And then you have your spare slightly overcooked. We probably wouldn't want to eat it that way. Florette of broccoli alongside because that's going to help with the skill development. They won't mm-hmm. manage equal volumes by any stretch because the puree yeah. is a much easier texture, a step up from kind of milk that they'll be able to manage just a process essentially of moving it front to back in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Whereas broccoli, they'll just be tickling their face and smushing it in their hands and maybe some very early munching. But the key about the textures as you move through weaning is that you're using that to facilitate their motor development and that they are learning how to eat, like those actual physical skills, their mouth, their jaw, that big rotary chew that comes much later on, all of those sorts of things. So again... If you're listening and going, I don't know what to start with in terms of baby led or puree or is one better than the other, I'm going to sit here and say no. Both, the end goal is the same for both. Lucy said there that one of the big no-nos is anything to do with the choking hazard. And we'd like to explore that a little further. And because there's so much to say, we've created a whole separate bonus episode around choking and gagging. Just search choking in our podcast feed and you'll find the extra episode. (laughs) 
challenge then can often arise when uh, children start to become what's often termed as fussy eaters. And I think most toddlers and preschool and primary children will have gone through some element of that. So what is it and how do we handle it best as parents? This is a really great question because I would say most of your audience will have had this at some point. And I think one of the key things I'd say to start off with is exactly what you've brought up in the question, which is, a good percentage of children go through this phase. So as much as it can feel like, where has my weaning baby who used to eat olives and oily fish and their green (laughs) vegetables, where's my baby gone and why do they want beige, can feel hugely (laughs) frustrating and isolating. It is probably one of my most asked questions and has been throughout my career, regardless of a child's background. And I really Mm -hmm. mean regardless. And I think the first things parents need to do and I'm I'm sounding quite prescriptive here but I am going to say need need to do mm-hmm. is take the pressure off themselves because so often there is this it's something I did wrong it's because I didn't mm-hmm. do that 10 days of vegetable lead weaning at the beginning <laughs> it's because I didn't do baby lead weaning it's yeah. because of x it's because of y and actually it's not for the most part for most children the reason that they are going through a phase where they are fussy or more selective with their food and and just to give that some context you know it from my perspective that's children being reluctant to eat foods that they used to previously wanting to eat lots of the same foods over and over again often that is beige if i'm honest because it's predictable and it's the same every time um not sitting for as long at mealtimes, not eating as much, really turning their nose up and having that it's disgusting, you know, response to the meal you've Mm -hmm. just lovingly prepared for the last 45 minutes. Um, You know, they're the sorts of things we're looking at. And for the most part, it's it's, it's a huge drive from a child development perspective. So when you look at what's going on for toddlers at that age, their growth is slowing down. So the amount Mm -hmm. that they need to eat really is much less you know, than they did really when they're weaning, which feels counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because you're like, yeah, does, they're yeah. bigger. <laughs> don't they need more? They need more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't they need more? Um, this is just fascinating. They don't need more. They actually need less calories per kilo, kind of, if we look at the science of it at that age. They also, mm. and again, I'm sure this comes into lots of your chats about behaviour, they are pushing and driving for autonomy. They are two going on 22 and they want to do it themselves. Definitely. I want to feed myself. I want to decide what I'm having. And it can be really, it can really throw parents when you start putting down food in front of children and they say no, because you're like, what do you mean no, no? And what how we respond to no is we we respond to no like we're talking to another adult and go, oh okay, what would you like instead? Whereas actually they don't necessarily mean no. They might mean I'm not hungry, I don't want it now, don't like the look of it mm-hmm. today, just not feeling it, whatever it might be. And then what we can tend to do as adults is I, I sort of alluded to it earlier when we were just chatting sort of off and is compensate so we bring in the rescue meals we bring in the alternatives and the child realizes they're even more in control um absolutely and we they've re- got you now they've got you that's it that's it great i'm gonna sit i would sit every night and say no until i got a chocolate brownie and ice cream if i really wanted to but i'm an adult i could decide if i want that for my dinner now um i think we we compensate so we you know as adults we want to bribe we want to say just one more bite and what mm-hmm. we don't realize is that by doing lots of these things at meal times this food parenting as I like to sort of call it, is that we're actually layering on the pressure which makes the problem worse. Because mm-hmm. I always say, you know, if somebody sat next to you and was just staring at you whilst you ate, and then you finished your plate and they said, True. no, no, one more bite. And then you were yeah. really full and, and they were really trying to sit there with you for another half an hour when you're bored and you want to go and do something else. Mm-hmm. You'd be yeah. really, really knocked off. 
Yeah, you'd be yeah, really knocked off. But we, you know, we worry. We worry as adults: have they eaten enough? Have they done X? Have they done Y? What happens if they don't grow? What happens if they don't get the nutrients they need? And I tell you what: most of them are brilliant at getting the nutrients they need. And there's some really, really good studies, long-term studies that show periods of food fussiness in children rarely impact on their growth or their nutrition long-term. Which That's is really quite reassuring, reassuring to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I really? think also for parents, you panic that if you've got a child, I mean, I remember when my boys were little and they would bring a friend round. There was one friend in particular and we knew when he came, his mum would say, all he will eat is chicken strips and smiley faces and he won't eat anything else. And this is about five years old. Yeah. And, but then that was literally all he ate at home. And I think for parents worry then, am I not getting enough nutrition in? Yeah. How long does this go like, on how for? How long can I let this go on for before it starts to become an issue? Yeah. I, and I, this is the key thing really is, is actually how do we make sure, how do we, everyone, the magic question, the magic wand is what do I do about it? Yeah. And yeah. so some of that comes into what you're just talking about, Alistair, in that actually we've got to be careful that we don't just give them what we know they're going to eat all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean necessarily putting a plate of food in front of them every night that has nothing familiar, nothing they want to eat, nothing that's currently within their sort of accepted food range i'm trying to steer away sometimes we call them safe foods but i suppose that gives the nuance that other foods are unsafe i don't really like that so yeah it's their comfort zone and and so maybe it would be okay well smiley faces are on the menu that's fine i'll do smiley faces tonight but the vegetable and the protein i add to this meal is going to be something different so there's something that my child's going to eat they're not going to come to the table and 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 basically already feel completely dysregulated because there's they can't see anything that they want and all that's familiar to them at the moment there is something there they can eat and that you know we rotate through those foods throughout the week so that we don't lose them because i think lots of parents will relate to something that we call in the feeding world as food jagging which essentially I like to just call burnout we all do it I went to Italy for a week I ate pasta every day I did not want pasta when I came home I was like give me a curry something completely different kids Mm -hmm. we give them what they want every day they eat and eat and eat it and then all of a sudden they completely throw you because they don't want their Weetabix anymore and you go yeah oh god what do I do now but you love Weetabix exactly you've had it every day for 365 days what do you mean you don't like Weetabix (laughs) and there lies the answer answer. we they burn out so even if you've only got you know even if it's I know Weetabix, Cheerios and toast that are the preferred repertoire foods in the morning. Cycle through it. Give them something different or give them a choice of two. Kids love choice. This is it. If, if they want autonomy, if you can give them some autonomy around food. Fantastic. You can have Cheerios or Weetabix. So you're still deciding as a parent what's on offer. Yeah. But yeah, they feel choice. like they're in control. They're like, oh, have the Cheerios. And you're like, great. <laughs> have the blooming Cheerios. You're having Lucy, something. Lucy, to... Back to the no, the child that says mm. no. What yes. would be your strategy in the moment? So strategy in the moment would be absolutely, take, it's okay, you don't have to eat it. Pressure off, that's okay. You don't have to eat it. I, I try to avoid, <laughs> my top tip is try to avoid the no in the first place. So don't ask the big open question, would you like? Yeah. Or Because because if you get a no, it's hard to go anywhere from no. <laughs> yeah, you kind of stop. <laughs> you're kind of stuck. Yeah. You're like, okay. So I try and avoid with toddlers those really big open questions and keep it quite closed and give them choices or mm-hmm. mix it up a bit when they go no. Okay, well, we're, we're going to eat. We can eat at the table or in the kitchen or like on the we'll do a picnic on the floor, for example, you know, and they get to sort mm-hmm. of decide that. But essentially, if they decide that that meal they do not want to eat, that is fine. Mm-hmm. And that might be food they've had before. That might be some foods that are unfamiliar. But if they decide today is the day, I don't want it, that is okay. Because I would say it's very normal for toddlers to do well at one or two meals a day. And you can might feel like the rest of the time they don't eat very much at all. 
and and again that's that's our expectations as adults isn't it that you have three square meals a day and your snacks and you eat all of it mm-hmm. whereas actually kids are brilliant absolutely brilliant at listening to their appetite they might just not be hungry and as weird as it feels sending your child to bed having not had dinner and I know that's a big uh-huh. one for parents yeah trusting them and their appetite is actually so 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 essential in terms of building trust and and bonding and responsive parenting they said to you I don't want it you've gone okay that's fine everybody's happy rather than starting the battle of uh, the battle that then kind of escalates across meal times and and going forward but it just feels weird doesn't it you you, oh are they going to wake up overnight sorry can you hear a cockerel in the background really going for it it's not 6am it's not 6am I can't believe you just had (laughs) (laughs) so yeah you know just I frame it for parents is meal times an opportunity for children to eat not a guarantee yeah. I think also the point you made earlier on about children having autonomy and that stage of development where it's not always practical for parents, especially working parents, to give that level of choice. But yeah. when you can involve a child in the setting of the table, yeah. in the low level preparation of a meal. Of the plate. Yeah, that yeah. idea of saying Pick like we used to do that with our boys, let's have a picnic tea where you'd eat the same tea you're gonna eat but just on a blanket in yeah. the lounge rather than at the table. Yeah. And I think also like my dad would always say to us you sit at the table until you've eaten it and you don't get down. And I remember crying at the table mm. saying, but I just, I don't want to eat anymore. But I think in our current economic kind of crisis as well, with, with families accessing things like food banks, food's becoming a precious resource. Yeah. And I think some parents might feel that idea that if a child says no, it's a waste of the food, which is difficult to come by. So there is going to be a certain amount of parents having to find some kind of peace with the fact that, yes, this is about how you provide food for your family, but also it's about the development of your child. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can completely empathise with that because there is there is nothing worse than wasted food. And actually, that's something we pull through as well. I hate it. I'll finish it because it's left, not because I'm hungry, yeah. you know? Yeah. And Which actually, is why we, most parents put on at least a stone. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, when they start feeding. Children, yeah. <laughs> that additional comfort eating. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. going to finish yours. And then, especially if you're we'll doing all the... Have a starter of chicken nuggets. Watch me model, the, you know, I'll model how you eat it. Yeah. And then find I've finished the bowl. Yeah, yeah. So, no. Lucy, I'm completely... Get everything that you say there. And I would be absolutely comfortable as a parent, having listened to an expert, tell me that it's okay for them to go without a meal. Yeah. At what stage do I need to worry so if they've gone without tea and breakfast and lunch the next day, there must be a point where we write, okay, there's something deeper here or maybe not. Maybe they... Yeah, and I think there are... I don't even like using the word red flags anymore. I would say there are there are points at which, you know, there is cause for genuine concern. So mm-hmm. I, I think I always... As difficult as it can be, and I always appreciate that I, you're, I'm the voice of rationale looking in, I always ask parents to step back and go, right, if you've had a series of really bad meals... Do we need to check on kind of things like teeth? Are they unwell? Because I have to say with appetite, it is the first thing to go as child is brewing anything and it is the last thing to come back. Right. As a general rule of thumb, you're like, oh, they're off Mm -hmm. the food. Mm, Really off their food, you know. And if you know that you've given a good range of accepted foods that, you know, that they're otherwise kind of well and they're quite settled, usually that's an alarm bell for me. Something else is going on. If you've mm-hmm. got a child who has got really persisting fussiness and or there are big concerns about things like their growth. So if you're worried that yep. they aren't gaining weight or they're falling through lines on their centile charts or a big thing for me is if you actually write down the foods that they're accepting and you're missing whole food groups or texture groups, 
Mm-hmm. So if they're only having smooth food or if they're only eating carbohydrates and they've got no protein-rich foods or fruit or vegetables, that is the point to go and get some support. And that's mm-hmm. that individualized support because feeding is probably one of the most complex things a child has to do. And we don't really appreciate it, particularly as adults and particularly as adults who might like eating. It's hard to think of it being kind of an arduous or difficult task. Um, mm-hmm. And I, ten- I tend to adopt kind of the approach, particularly with feeding difficulties and, and my feeding therapist hats going on now, which is the child is always right. And if they're not eating, there is a reason why. Yeah. And it's, it's a professional's job at that point to start looking into that. Really, the sooner the better. I would always say that the mm-hmm. earlier I get kids in feeding clinic, the better because we have so much more scope at a good time in their life to kind of shape things moving forward. Um, What can be quite distressing is when these behaviours have gone on for years and years and years and parents haven't had support. Yeah. It sounds to me like you're saying that mealtime should be a joyous event. It's not time for a battle. It's not time for persuasion or bribery. If they want to eat it, they eat it. If they don't, they don't they'll let you know um and just that common sense approach to and if you've got concerns seek advice. seek advice don't leave it too long no don't leave it too long and the other thing i would say like big top tip is if you're eating with your child i appreciate for lots of parents this won't be every day because you don't want to eat at 11 and 4 for your lunch <laughs> or whatever but if yeah. you know it, it is great to eat with kids wherever you can but if you're doing a meal please pick something you want to eat please feed yourselves <laughs> Because actually, when kids see you enjoying a meal and you go, God, they'd never have stir fry. And you've got a random side of toast on the table to make sure that there's something there that's familiar for them. You would actually be surprised because we so often as adults forget to kind of do the looking after ourselves bit. And everything is planned around the child. So so pick a meal that you enjoy. Like you said, get them involved. Wash the pepper. Carry the plates to the table. Have a job. And just remember that actually learning about food and relearning about food after sort of moving through that sort of toddler development really, really takes time, really takes time. You know, it's not a, if I just put pepper in front of them twice, that's going to be it. You could be Mm -hmm. there two years later and that's okay. Lucy, I've absolutely loved listening to that and I wish that I had access to expertise like you when I had my three yeah, younger children because certainly I remember a few battles and I look back on yes. that now and wish I'd took a much <laughs> happier, easier path. The beautiful thing is the more we understand, often the easier it is. Yeah. And, and that's one of our key messages, isn't it? Yeah. That let's keep it simple. So that's my big takeaway for today is no battles at mealtimes and take your child's lead. What's your big takeaway, Alistair? Well, I'm still not a fan of Brussels sprouts. I'm wondering if my mum should have done a bit of Brussels sprout weaning when I was small. <laughs> I think, yeah. But my big takeaway is exactly that. Feeding and learning to love and enjoy food is developmental. And the more pressure you put on a child with any aspect of the development, the more they're likely to push against it. So if we can try and create, and sometimes that's about, for us as parents, battling some of our own anxiety, but make food a enjoyable development and not one that's too full of stress is only going to benefit us all in the end absolutely so let's run through five easy hacks for getting children eating lots of vegetables and a varied diet in the first five years so number one would be get it in early and offer lots of variety through weaning Number two would be have it at mealtimes, whether they eat it or not. Kids need to see and learn about food a different way before they put it in their mouth. Number three would be get them involved with vegetables in a way that isn't eating it. So grow it, wash it, chop it, whatever it needs to be. Number four would be think about ways that you can get it in 
rather than just having it on the side of the plate. So grating things into bolognese, adding it into mac and cheese, incorporate it into meals as a norm. And number five would be model, model, model. Children copy and do as they see. So they're going to need to see you enjoying your peas too. (laughs) I love it. Thanks for listening today. Get in touch if there's something you want to talk about on this podcast. You can post questions on our Facebook community or on Instagram and you'll find us at My First Five Years. And don't forget to look out for that extra bonus episode of Lucy around choking hazards when it comes to food. So just search choking in the podcast feed. If you want to read more about feeding your children healthy foods, you can download the My First Five Years app, which is on the App Store. Just search My First Five Years. Please do head to Instagram and tell us your thoughts and questions about food and nutrition. And Jenny and I will be answering those in the new year. Don't forget to rate, review and follow My First Five Years. It really helps us.